This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey everybody, it's Gary Vaynerchuk. Super excited to uh, be back here on the podcast. 2021 has been a journey on original content on the podcast and that journey continues today in very exciting form for me personally and for I'm sure many of the listeners of this podcast because today we have what is easily described, especially for my generation, as one of the entrepreneurs that many of us looked up to, were aware of, put some real wins on the board as a young man, has continued in uh, that journey and is now writing a book that I'm excited to talk about and I'm excited to hopefully dig into some stuff that hasn't been touched on before because I'm gonna go very improv like I tend to do. But unlike many of the guests that come through, I always say some of you might not be aware. This one I have a funny feeling almost all of you are aware. The, the iconic Michael Dell is here. Michael, it is a real pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Gary. Great to be with you. Thank you, my friend. For that one person that isn't, I always like to do comic book number one, right? Episode one. Give me two, three minutes on context, on even maybe how you see yourself. How do you talk, you know? Hey, who are you? Uh, nice to meet you. What do you think? Like, tell me a little bit about yourself. So why don't you give a little uh, two-minute bio? Not something I do a lot, but uh, yeah, so I started a technology company uh, in my dorm room when I was 19 at the University of Texas. And today we're a little over $100 billion business operating in 180 countries. And we're the leading provider of cloud infrastructure and uh, you know uh, technology capabilities to enable companies to uh, drive their digital transformation. Take me back a little bit further before we get into the book. What was the seed? Do you have a sense of like what was the moment or the three or four building blocks that got you to starting the company or the journey? Sure. So I was um, really fortunate you know, in junior high school to get. Uh, access to a teletype terminal. This is before the PC. Uh, I learned about Byte magazine and uh, was reading about the dawn of the microprocessor age and, you know, Radio Shack for a brief moment in time made more PCs than anybody. And then, you know, Apple came out with the Apple II and I had saved up enough money from entrepreneurial ventures to, to get one of those. And, and what were those entrepreneurial ventures? Oh, it was, uh, you know, uh, baseball cards, uh, stamp auction, uh, stock trading, all, all kinds of very, things. Very, but it's funny, all three of those, very trading oriented, no? If you think about it, yeah. stamps, baseball cards, and stocks, all yeah. kind of buy, sell for more. Very much also, by the way, my DNA, though I had a little more lemonade, car washing, shoveling snow in the mix there, but... <laughs> It was interesting, I, I, was, I love entrepreneurship so much, I'm always curious, all three of those, and for everybody who's listening, stamps were no question the baseball cards of that generation prior, probably a generation or two above Michael and definitely above me as well. Um, interesting that all three of those fall under the same, in my opinion, from my perspective, realm of buy it for something, sell it for more. 
Yeah, and I, you know, uh, got a job working in a Chinese restaurant when I was 12. I was a dishwasher, uh, got promoted to water boy, and then assistant <laughs> maitre d', uh, got recruited away to a Mexican restaurant. And do, Michael, you know, do you think do you had think lots you, of jobs? Michael, do you think you learned a lot about consumer by being on the trenches of restaurants? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you certainly learn how to uh, be empathetic and to serve and to uh, listen carefully and, you know, you want to please, right? And you yes. want to do well. And so, you know, you learn how to relate to lots of different kinds of people and figure out what is the best path and the best strategy to, to make that happen. I agree with that. So, I, so keep going. Uh, you know, uh, the Apple II comes along. I, I uh, get one of those, take it apart. Uh, 1981, IBM introduces the IBM PC. And, you know, most people maybe don't uh, remember this or weren't alive then. But, uh, you know, during the 1980s, IBM was oh. the most valuable company uh, in the world. And, right. you know, was... Uh, completely dominant in the field of data processing, which, you know, sort of has become what we think of as technology. And so when they introduced the IBM PC, uh, you know, I got involved in that, took that apart, started upgrading them. I was helping uh, my friends learn how to program and, you know, uh, started upgrading computers for my friend's parents and, that turned into a little bit of a business. Went off to and, college. And Michael, were you known? So right. So this sounds like this is high school. Were you known as as like a whiz kid because you understood this new computer thing because of that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. I was, yep. I was was pretty pretty geeky. Yep. And um, oh, I f forgot. I also uh, had a job at. Um, at a, a newspaper and figured out how to sell more subscriptions than anybody had ever sold before. <laughs> Made a bunch <laughs> of money doing that. And- um, How'd you do that, by the way? So uh, I figured out that people that were buying the newspaper, uh, several things about them, but one very distinctive one was that they were often getting married. And it turns out that when you get married in Texas, as in many states, you have to get a marriage license and that is available under the Freedom Information Act. So you could go to the county courthouse and request all the marriage licenses. And on the license, uh, the, the, the couple filled out, they listed the address that they wanted the license to be sent to. And so I created a direct mail campaign, uh, made you know about $18,000 doing that, which, you know, back in, uh, in the early 80s was was, was a, a trillion dollars. I mean, when I was making, yeah, I, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Because when I was making $700, you know, a weekend selling baseball cards in 1990 or 1989, it was like a billion dollars. I mean, numbers were just different. And when you're a kid, everything's compounded. So that was massive. I also love the fact that you're already getting into smart data. You know, I, I a lot of my success in social media marketing comes from the fact that I did a ton of direct mail for my dad's wine store and I was very good, quote unquote, at it. And you can transfer those skills. Yeah, so I got into direct mail at the, at the age of 16 uh, with a massive direct mail campaign for the Houston Post newspaper. <laughs> and 
you know, when I went off to college, uh, I really kind of ramped up the, the business of upgrading computers. Uh, talk about all this in the book. My parents got really upset with me, kind of, uh, you know, one point was sitting there watching my mom cry and, uh, you know. Because she thought that you were getting distracted from studies which would undermine your future? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, makes sense. And, uh, and so th- there was a 10 day period where I completely stopped and it was during those 10 days that I really decided that this was something more than a, a fun way to make money and a, and a because hobby. Because in those 10 days, you were so unhappy because it wasn't a part of your life that you knew this was different. Yeah, and I and I just felt the opportunity was too compelling. So, Michael, on uh, that note, I, I apologize because I'm being very selfish for my audience, and I think this is an incredible opportunity for them. Sure, no worries, Michael. Please explain to this audience, and there's a by the way, this you know, I I have a nice young base, but there is an ungodly amount of 45 to 90 year olds listening right now. But pl- for the ones that aren't 45 to 90. Please explain how different entrepreneurship was positioned. I mean, you were a step you know, ahead of me. You know, for me, it was 1990 was high school entry, 1994 was college entry. And like, I was unbelievably productive as an entrepreneur, but my, my poor grades, I, I don't know, I, I think you might've been a better student than me, but my poor grades were, most people thought I was gonna be not successful because entrepreneurship almost had no place at the table for profession. I'm gonna have to assume, and I just want everybody to hear from you because I think now everybody's a creator or an entrepreneur or aspires to be one, so the culture shifted. Explain to everybody like what the positioning was from having a business on the side at school. Like It was very unique, no? Yeah, it was it was definitely unique. Uh, I you know very very I, I didn't really don't know anybody else that was doing it. And interestingly enough, you know it was the dawn of the the PC age, and none of the students were even interested in personal computers. <laughs> I was I was selling to, you know, small businesses and doctors and lawyers and you know uh, you know universities in the area. The, the 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 those were my customers. But yes. I didn't really think of it as I'm going to have a career as an entrepreneur. I just saw an opportunity and was off to go, you know, build, 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 build a business. And and uh, it, it had gotten to about $80,000 a month uh, in my dorm room. And That's I insane. thought... Uh, what you know, year is that, Michael? It was, uh, you know, uh, 1983, 1984 is when I incorporated the company two weeks before I finished my final exams with my freshman year. So and, Michael, uh, in 83-84, you're doing a million dollar run rate selling something that most people outside of a geeky culture or a professional culture didn't even have demand for. Again, for everybody's listening, money's gotten weird. Back then, that number is staggering. I, I can't even like, I forget about inflation. To put into context, if you find a kid like a Charlie D'Amelio that's making 30, 50 million a year being an influencer. Like I have to assume that when you would tell your most inner family or friends about where the run rate was, it was almost difficult for people to believe it to be true, no? Well, it wasn't I wasn't my style to go around telling people what Which I was doing. Which is why I said inner circle, right? I, I'm sure, I, I even know your style now, so I assume back then even, but somebody had to hear it, right? A cousin, a best friend, like who, whether it was three people or 30 people, I have to assume they were astonished at the scale that this could be, no? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the first nine months uh, that I started from May of 84, we had uh, $6 million in revenue. And then the first full year was $33 million. Uh, we grew 80% compounded for eight years in a row. And then for six years after that, we grew 60% uh, compounded. So if you do the math on that, you get well over $10 billion, which is exactly what happened. And so, uh, you know, the business uh, got off to a, a fast start. We was made called, lots of mistakes. Was it, called, was it called Dell from the beginning? It was incorporated as Dell Computer Corporation. Our trading name for the first few years was PCs Limited. And there's a there's a fun story in the book about exactly how that happened. It, it was it was uh, you know, kind of a lawyer who named the, the company. <laughs> when did you switch it to Dell? So, so the actually the lawyer named the company Dell Computer Corporation. Uh, Interesting and, for the legal term because last name got it, and then you named it from a front facing brand standpoint. It, I I had I had been a uh, you know kind of sole proprietor. Uh, before and I had named the company PCs Limited, because you wanted it. You wanted to seem bigger on the name, more broad. You know, it, it, <laughs> we, 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 who the heck knows? I mean, we, yeah. we were focused on PCs and we were PCs Limited. So, <laughs> so, so that, that that was the name. You know, kind of starting in the in the uh, beginning of 1984. Then we incorporated as Dell Computer Corporation. Fast forward to about 1987, and we start our global expansion uh, in, in the UK. And uh, we hire a team over there, and they're getting going. And, you know, uh, they're like, well, we can't be PCs Limited Limited because that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. and, you know, what should we call the company? And, you know, we were so busy uh, growing so fast back in Austin we're like, we don't know. You just, just figure it you out. You just name it. And, and so, so the guys in the UK decided, well, the, the actual name of the company is Dell Computer Corporation. So that's what we're going to call it in the UK. Wow. So, so there was a period of time there. And then uh, I was kind of reluctant, but the team ultimately convinced me to. You, you, you were more relying on your humility and just kind of like you thought it might be audacious to name it after yourself. That's why you were holding off a little bit. Well, and I, you know, thought about the Osborne effect, uh, you know, yep. um, Adam Osborne, you know, uh, you know, introduced a, a new machine, it, it failed. And, you know, he, it, it kind of became memorialized as the Osborne effect. And, yep. you know, I certainly uh, <laughs> didn't want that to happen. Didn't, didn't want that to happen. And, you know, when, when, <laughs> so like, let's it? go, let's, let's segue. Cause I know we don't have a lot of time and I appreciate how busy you are. And I want to get some stuff in the book. What's the book about for those curious? Because I want everybody to pick it up and get them value. And number two, why do you think you wrote it now? Because there's a whole lot of times I assume you could have wrote it in the past and maybe even in the future since you're still a young man. What, break that down for me. Well, the book really starts out at the moment that I am trying to uh, take the company private and really reignite Ex explain that to everybody even in the macro context because i know that right. might not be something everyone knows right so the company goes public in in uh, 1988 issue shares to shareholders was that an, was that an insane moment for you yeah it was pretty fun i was 23 years old a public company and 
you know, it was kind of the only way you could access the capital markets to, to grow there. You know, uh, the venture wasn't available to us. There were no SPACs back in 1998. <laughs> and, there was uh, all these so, ways to fund today, the Jobs Act, all these different things, VCs, private act, all of it, non-existent. The only way to get real cash to go real crazy, which is clearly your ambition at that time, was to go public. Yeah, exactly. So fast forward uh, 25 years, the stock had appreciated 13,500%. That's uh, 27 times more than the S&P 500 during that time. But market wasn't giving us permission to really transform. And we'd been investing in all sorts of new areas in cloud and security and software. But kind of the more we did it, the, the less the market liked it. They were infatuated with smartphones. Yep. And uh, thought that, you know, hey, smartphones are here. So the PC is is gone. Dead. And People, Michael, why do you think there's an obsession? And I, listen, I throw around the term, I've really tried to not more because it's just not true. When there's a new thing that will absolutely take market share, this obsession with then taking whatever is the incumbent and just calling it dead, when in reality, looking at innovation over the last hundred years, it's far more dented, sliced for a little bit, you know, you know, and why, why do you think there's such an obsession of like, oh, this is here now, well, this is all dead, instead of, no, no, this is gonna take some market share. Do I believe that the social media stream has taken market share from television commercials? I sure do, but it's not officially dead. There are still television commercials in 2022. Why do you think that is in our society? Well, first of all, newsflash, uh, last quarter we shipped more computers than ever before and- Love that, <laughs> love so, that. So, you know, if, if it's dead, it's it's giving a really good impression of being being alive. Uh, but- Well, that's, but that's the, the question. To that, news, to that newsflash, that's my point, right? Like, like here we are all these years later after a smartphone and people, what people don't realize is that markets expand and people have three devices, not that's one. Right. It, it, it's an and thing, not an or thing. And that's, that's right. kind of what we thought then. And and look, I mean, uh, just because it's conventional wisdom and everybody else is doing it and believes that it's right, doesn't mean that it's completely right. And if you find those opportunities that others don't see, uh, there can be just tremendous opportunity. And, and so- as so we that's were, what you saw and that's where this book catches up. Like, hey, the the market's telling me you stink, you're the, the you're in the past. I see that it's going to be and, not or, which is brilliantly said. I say it all the time. Let me do something about this and take it back private and bring, take back my company in essence, right? Right. And and you know, when you do that, you put the company up for sale basically because anybody can buy it, you know, if somebody wanted to pay a penny more than I and Silver Lake were willing to pay. They they could have done that, and so it was an epic battle. Uh, Carl Icahn showed up and was sort of the, the Joker in the in the, in the <laughs> in whole program there. And that were was, you, Michael? Were you anticipating the icons of and the other you know characters that look like him showing up, or was that a surprise? No, to you? it was a total surprise. I I you know he never bought uh, or owned any of our stock in the past, and uh, you know maybe I should have anticipated it. But totally, totally missed that one. Um, and, you know, it, it was the biggest uh, go private ever for uh, a te technology company at the time. And 
you know, what we did was give the shareholders some of the benefit of our uh, transformation if it was successful without taking any of the risk. And uh, so shareholders got, you know, a big premium and uh, we took on all the risk and we went for it. And we, you know, we started super aggressively hiring more R and D engineers and introducing tons of innovation uh, hiring thousands of additional. Where, where, where were you? Where were you in your life at this point as a as a professional filter? Where how? What were you active in before this maneuver? I was the CEO of the company. So, so got it. So you went from public CEO. I, I'm sorry, but I I wanted to make sure I had that context and everybody listening. Yeah. So you were the public CEO, but because of the lack of permission for pricing the stock, you decided to take it private. Yeah, basically that's right. I mean, you know, we we um, had had a, a period of, of great success, but you know, things started to change in the late two thousands, and we started to go in all these new areas. And as I said, kind of the more we uh, were rebuilding and transforming the company, the less the market liked it. And ultimately, at that point in time, being public was rate limiting for our transformation. And so I felt that wow, you know, we could really accelerate this if we weren't thinking about uh, earnings. Every 90 days, basis. right? And Michael, was the company structured in a way, this is where I want to get people educated, where because you went public in a very different day than some of the companies that have gone public in the last decade, you as a CEO and the founder of it, at that point, what I, I love what you're, man, it makes me admire you so much. Mm -hmm. I, I have such lack of interest to ever do anything public because I'm incredibly scared of being held accountable every 90 days to something because then you can never do what you need to do for the consumer because you're just milking your P&L for profit. You were in a position as a public CEO that if you made the statement like, hey, world, I'm going to do what's right for us in three years from now, that they might, the board might have been able to get rid of you and you wouldn't have been able to see it through, which then forced you to have to take it private to be able to do what you wanted to do with your company? Well, so um, maybe yes and no. So, You're not, yeah. Uh, yeah. so earlier in 2012, uh, the shareholders reelected me to be uh, you know, uh, uh, chairman of the board with 96% of the vote. So, you know- Got uh, it. So that wasn't the case. You just, so it was, it was, it was less- I'm sorry to interrupt. It was less that you might have not seen it through because people would have been upset that it wouldn't have been performing as well in the short term for long term. It was more that you actually just saw how big the business opportunity was. And so you decided to go about it that way. Yeah, the, 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 the silver lining in the market kind of not understanding the transformation that we were on and not understanding that you know the smartphone was not going to uh, destroyed the PC that was more of an end thing, created this incredible opportunity to accelerate the transformation. And so, uh, you know, we, we went through that and, you know, within 18 months after we had done the, the take private, our net debt was basically zero. So we mm. just were paying down debt at a voraciously fast rate. And then we, we decided to kind of uh, quadruple down and do the biggest merger acquisition ever in technology with EMC and VMware and create the number one company in all of cloud infrastructure. And 
you know, we, we thought that would work well. It turned out to work uh, far better than, than even we imagined. And uh, now we're public again. We just got a two-notch upgrade back to investment grade. We've paid down tons of debt. And last quarter, we grew 15%. We had uh, wow. $50 billion in revenues in the first half of the year. And, uh, you know, we're... we're uh, <laughs> what, all, Michael, all- with, that, with that insanity of success... Uh, <laughs> What would you say? Just another day at the office, Gary. That I know, brother. And listen, you are truly, truly, and I, I don't say this lightly, truly an incredible entrepreneur and visionary of the last 40 years. And because of your humility and the way you navigate, just you know, one man's point of view, macro underrated. Um, you know, I'm gonna ask you an interesting question that actually ties into my new book, which talks about emotional intelligence being a framework for success. And I, I don't know you. Uh, I know several people pretty well that are fairly close to you. And I've always had this sense of you. So I'm excited that I got to achieve to ask you this. The first chapter, that insanity, I'm going public at 23 years old. The brilliance, in my opinion, from a business standpoint of taking a private to where you are now, betting on the cloud, to your point, I get it. I lived through those years of like, I understand why you believe that because it absolutely worked, but it worked incredibly well. What, um, from an emotional intelligence standpoint, forget about the business strategy, maybe the consumer lens, some of the different stuff, technology chops, which you have. In this last, in this book, in this chapter, this last decade or two or 15 years, what emotional intelligence are you most proud of or you think was most significant for you to navigate it? Was it empathy? Was it compassion? Was it accountability? Was it patience? Like if I asked you the soft, you know, I'm on a binge right now to try to educate a lot of people that the soft skills are actually the hard skills. And I'm, and I, again, from afar, really see a lot of them in you, but don't really have under the hood. So I'm trying to go there. In this latest chapter where the book picked up and this great chapter of your career, which which emotional intelligence or human characteristic skills do you think, and I know you don't love talking about yourself that way, but you can help a lot of people right now. Which one over-indexed or you think was foundational or which couple really mattered during this chapter? I, th- I think I learned a lot about uh, empathy and you know uh, understanding uh, people's motivations. And I think you know that was that was helpful to me. Um, I think I also uh, up my game a bit in in understanding how to tap into to passion and and mm. to uh, really you know make uh, what we're doing as important as it really is and and uh, you know have people super excited that what they do matters in the world and uh, you know that's been that's been pretty powerful uh, but look you know it's all about how do you, uh, you know, create uh, a, a winning team of people, enable, empower them, give them this exciting vision, and um, you know, turn turn them loose? And you've got to have the right strategy too, right? And you've got to execute. Um, but you know, you, you you put those things together, and you you know, uh, treat people with respect and fairly, and uh, you deliver. Do you something. think people? Do you think people underestimate kindness in business? They think it's a weakness, given how we've portrayed the business world: sharp elbows, win, compete. Do you think 
very point blank question. Do you think kindness in business is underrated? Well, I think there's a long arc to, uh, you know, um, reputations and relationships. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I've interacted with somebody and then, uh, you know, three years later, five years later, they turn up a completely different company, completely different position. And it's like, oh, I remember you, you, you know, you, you were, you were great to work with and all that comes back to you. And yes, so, it does. you know, uh, just dealing with people in, in the right way, I think really matters and, um, you know, call it play nice, play nice, but win, <laughs> uh, something my, my parents taught, taught my two brothers and I, when we, when we were little kids and it's kind of, kind of stuck with me. How about candor? Something I've struggled with as a public persona, strong on stage, my content, actually it's my strength. As a private, you know, business leader, it's something I really struggled with. Were you naturally good at candor? Was that something that you needed to evolve? Evolve, excuse me, is, uh, you know, I call it kind candor as an ethos now in the company because I think candor has often been used as an excuse to not be nice. And it definitely at always many times to the insecure leads to a lot of fear. So I've always had this interesting relationship with candor. How about your relationship with candor? Well, I've always been very, you know, forthright and, and uh, candid in that sense, but I was pretty opaque for uh, a long time. And, and really where that came from was I did get off to a fast start in life. Yeah. And um, yeah, what happened was a lot of people came to me and they were asking me for things and right. Uh, right. You know, made me feel uh, pretty right. uncomfortable. And so I built a barrier between myself and uh, just about everybody. Very <laughs> and you know, that, that was kind of limiting. And, you know, as time has gone on, I figured out other ways to, to deal with that. And this book is way more personal. And I think anybody that even people that know me will, will be surprised at how candid. What, 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 what made you comfortable to go more personal to your point, even where your inner circles like, Oh, you went a little further is, do feelings about legacy do feelings about if I give them a little bit more, this may help someone. Cause, cause going more personal has an incredibly interesting, selfish, selfless framework. So I'm dying to hear what made you feel like you were ready to go there. Yeah, that's, that's the framework, Gary. And, and it's, I would say time and just maturity. I mean, I did write a book in the late nineties and it has very, very little of, of those, you know, kind of uh, that, you know the, the the personal feel, and mm -hmm. this this new book has a lot more of it. And I explain exactly what I was thinking and feeling uh, during all of those key, key moments. moments and and times. And you know, while it might have looked from the outside like everything was going fantastically, or even in inside in the company, you know, people were like, oh, you know, <laughs> these these guys know what they're doing. Well, it wasn't always that way. And I explain you know, everything that, that, that was going on, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, a lot of our mistakes and, uh, you know, mess ups and lessons learned, those are the things that built the, the learning that 100%. ultimately created so much more success later on. Michael, at, at that 19 to 23 year old age group, that 19, that's, let's call it, listen to the story, that 16 to 23 year old, Michael, did you have a business idol? Was there anybody you looked up to? 
You know, I I grew up um, hearing stories and reading stories about uh, you know Charles Schwab and Ted Turner and William McGowan, you know, who created MCI, yep. and and then of course uh, you know Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, who were you know ten years older than 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 I am, and you know all of that excited me. The the the, the entrepreneurs of, of of that time that were creating new things and disrupting, you know, big businesses, uh, you know, those, those, those were my heroes. And what about now? Are you too busy and have too many focuses and interests, family, professionally, or do you like the game of entrepreneurship enough that you have a sense of some of the up and comers? I'm sure many of which have probably tried to reach out or have reached out or have spent time with you. Do you have a sense of the new crop? Do you get curious about the new crop, or is or is like, is that not where you would spend your attention? Yeah, no, I I, I love that. I do get to spend some time on that. Um, you know, uh, look, I think what's inspiring right now is there are so many uh, entrepreneurs, right, and there <laughs> is so much risk capital that's going after a lot of really hard problems. Mm. And, you know, that's super exciting. I invested a number of those, uh, you know, certainly through our company, but also through uh, MSD Capital and MSD Partners and uh, get, get to spend time with, 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 with some of those new entrepreneurs that are, that are building incredible businesses. And that's, that, you know, that's a ton of fun. What have we not, let's wrap this up. What have we not touched on that you want to make sure. I mean, one thing I love about my audience is they um they they know that I have trouble reading, and that's not how I consume my content per se. But they we have an audio book for just for you, Gary. Did you you didn't read it? Did you? I did. I read the whole thing. I am so proud of you, Michael. I'll tell you that. That's was, fucking good for you. It, it, it's 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 ten hours and thirty. Oh, I, I just finished mine. It's the uh, war. It was the hardest thing I ever did. Yeah, really. I know, man. It, it, it I know. Was, it was like emotionally draining. It's hard. Draining. Oh, it's hard. It, Good for I you. I was probably unprepared for this. Yeah, <laughs> you thought it was going to be a problem. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just thought, Good I'm going to go read this thing and I'll be done. No, it's hard. Oh, that was, that it's was hard. Like, uh, it's hard not to be a robot. I don't know if you ad-libbed. I get very off script, you know. So good for you. I'm really proud of you because it is a time suck. Uh, so first of all, now I know a lot of people are going to go that route, but I, this is a reading crew. A lot of people, can. that's why I keep writing books. So many people consume and learn from them. What did we not touch on? Because I know I bounced you around a lot. I have a little specific style that we, we want to end with of what people can expect from this great book. Yeah, look, I think a lot of human potential is is left uh, on the table because people are uh, too afraid to fail and don't want to take risks. And you know, uh, my my life was a great example of uh, of taking some risks. And and yeah. um, you know, uh, I wouldn't wouldn't advise everybody to drop out of college, but but uh, you know, uh, th there's there's it seems a lot more practical today than it was in your in your era. It was insanity in 2021 it, it there's a lot more practical yeah <laughs> i don't think you, you agree with that right michael say again do you agree that there's a lot more quote-unquote practicality and opportunity now for that not to be the path whereas in comparison the path of the 80s was very clear 
it's a little more blurry now. Does your does your degree actually get you an ROI positive situation? The the modern, you know, the mature internet with an emerging blockchain has so much opportunity. It it feels it feels less crazy and feels a little bit more, to be honest, practical against the ideology of college today than it did, let's say, 30, 40 years ago. Well, I don't think, you know, it's great generic advice to uh, give up the opportunity to 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 improve your skills, right? Let's put it that way. And, yes. and uh, I do think more and more um, opportunities are skills-based instead of degree-based. And, uh, you know, that's right. uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my thought. On yeah, it. I think that's exactly right. Nonetheless, what, uh, let's wrap this up. Will, any, any part of the book that we didn't touch on that might be good? You know, I think we, 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 covered uh, it? uh, we, we covered it pretty well. I, I, I do, I do go, uh, really all throughout you know, the, not only 37 years of the company, but my, my childhood and, uh, hope people draw some great lessons from it. And, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun writing it. And it was really hard to, uh, to, to do the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun way to end. Michael, listen, oh, God, I'm, glad I'm glad I did it. I'm glad you did it too, brother. I think it speaks to your authenticity. I'm really, I'm really glad we got to do this. I really appreciate your time. I'm cheering for you. Uh, I hope everybody in the Vayner Nation picks up a copy of the book. Uh, I think this is one of the true underrated operators of the last half century. And and I wish you nothing but health and happiness, my man. Thank you so much, Gary. Great to be with you. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm going to have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, Authentic Practical Advice. I love the practicality and the humility that comes with Gary V and his team's podcast. Their ability to answer questions and serve the community from a humble place is extremely powerful and practical for the community, including me. Thanks for your big heart and passion, Gary. You can literally hear it through the headphones. Highly recommend. Thank you so much for that kind review. And to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.